0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, It is Tuesday, the 10th of August, and Paul just asked me, are you calling? Are you you calling the phone? Yeah, well, I saw the phone ringing, and I didn't have the... Anyway. The phone was ringing, Paul, because I was testing to see whether or not I could tell people to call. And Uh I've tested it, and so, yes, the answer is yes. So, now, I will say what I was planning to say, now that I have verified that if I tell them to call, something will happen. Yeah. How's that sound? Yeah. Okay, so... Here's what happened yesterday. Oh, good morning. I'm Carmen. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Um, Yesterday, I was um, in the pickup line at school because, you know, it's now that time of year and um, got talking with another person in the pickup line. And it, it led to, oh, not like a pickup line. Like that sounds wrong, doesn't it? I have to find a new way to say that. The after school, everyone sits in their cars obediently in a row waiting for young people to be expelled from the building line.
2: The pickup Um, line.
0: Just Just stick with it, yeah. I was in the pickup line. Um, And so this person said, well, what's your show about? And I thought, hmm, (laughs) it's about everything. It's about anything. I think I said something like this. Well, we pause to think about what we're thinking about, how we're thinking about what we're thinking about, test it against what we know to be the truth, you know, spiritually discerned through the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, like what God says about himself and the world and everything in it. Like, we're trying to test what we think and how we discern things and, you know, against the Bible. I went on to say something like, uh, well, we ask questions like, what in the world's going on in the world? And how can I apply the mind of Christ to the headline news of the day? Because I want to walk out my faith into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. And by then I thought to myself, know what I wish I had? I wish I had, well, here's what people who listen to the show tell me the show is about. (laughs) Which leads me to asking you to call and tell me. What what do you think the show is about? How should I have answered that question? So this is what I, I wish we had. I wish we had, you know, folks who listen all the time, so that's you, like members of the Carmen Nation out there. I wish we had you telling us why you're listening to this. Like, what are you getting out of this? What is this show all about? I wish I had your answer to the question, what's the show all about? So how does participating in this every single day help you in your daily life? Like, what difference does Mornings with Carmen make to you? Would you share that with me? I have tested this, so I now know I can say, you could just call and leave your answer on the faith line at 877-933-2484. Yep, it's the same number that you can text us at as well. But if you text me your answer, then I won't have your bright, shiny voice to listen to, which I would totally love. So uh, call and tell me, what are you? why are you listening? What difference does this show make in your life? Uh, call and tell us. Give us the answer to that question on the faith line, 877-933-2484. You can email your answer, you know, if you've got a lot to say and you don't want to say it with your own sweet voice, um, you can email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Again, what difference does this show, or maybe there's some other show that you listen to during the day that you're like, you know what, there's some other show that actually makes a bigger difference in my life. Well, I'd like to hear about that too. So why are you listening and what are you getting out of it? Like how what difference is it making in your life? How is it changing your conversations? Tell me a story about, you know, how you've used something that you've heard in, in your place of work or in a relationship. How has it changed the way you see things or maybe the way you respond to something? Maybe the way you read the Bible. I don't know. So thanks in advance for calling and leaving your answer on the faith line. I tested it. Paul can verify that I tested it. The number is 877-933-2484. All right, now we're going to turn to the headlines. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is fresh off a vacation to Florida, here to explain to us everything about what's going on in Washington, D.C. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, apparently, I need to confess that I've lied to the people. You so did lie. lie. It Is... was a misunderstanding. We.
1: <laughs> anyway.
0: Paul. Tell them, tell oh, them the okay. truth. Okay, um, if you want to try and call and leave a message, you'll have to do it after the regular show because right now it's geared to do something else. But after 8 o'clock Central, you can call and ask for the, te- the, uh, the uh, faith line and leave your message about why you listen to Carmen. Otherwise, text in <laughs> Because if you right call now, right now, it's just going to ring. It, it's, it's just so going to be a busy I'm signal. I'm so it's, sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. you're going to get a busy signal. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Okay, you can't call the text line right now. You can email me. Yes. Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. You can text me at 877-933-2484. But if you want to leave your bright, shiny voice on a message, you have to wait until after 8 a.m. Central. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Sorry. All right. I'm making a mess of things. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is here to clean it all up. Hey, welcome back from vacation. Uh,
2: so I'm here to explain everything and now to clean up all the messes. Is that right? That's exactly and that's a pretty tall right. Level. On aisle eight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Good glad morning. I had a vacation then. I should be rested to do it.
0: Exactly. So um, infrastructure, it looks like we are finally there. Where are we? When we say we're there, where are we?
2: <laughs> uh, you know, the Senate is always fun, right? I mean, it seems like they're going to do something and they don't do it, or there's a procedure in place. There are hurdles to overcome. Um, well, today, they should vote on the infrastructure bill. Um, And all indications are that it will pass with a pretty healthy uh, majority and even probably 16, and maybe even 18 Republicans are going to vote for this bill. Uh, Last week, they had to overcome the filibuster objections. They did that. They've been a little bit more negotiating, but today it should uh, it should move through the Senate.
0: All right. And then the Senate is going to well, should we talk about anything that's in it or should we just say pretty much everything is in it? (laughs) It's pretty comprehensive. It is legit infrastructure. And for those of us who live in rural America, we are kind of excited that broadband is a part of it, whether or not you thought that that was the kind of infrastructure that should be included in roads and bridges um, and, and other things that we think of as infrastructure. But the the thing that is beyond this, the three point billion, oh, oh, that's not even right. Is it? Is uh, it no, is a right. T?
2: Yeah, T, yep.
0: Oh, my goodness. The $3.5 trillion spending package is really the thing that's next on the horizon that the Senate is going to immediately take up. And that is like bananas money and gets us into a conversation about the debt ceiling. So however you want to approach those two conversations in tandem would be great.
2: You know, there's an old saying in Washington um, that a, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon we're talking about real money. And and as you said, that was with a B billion. Now we're so far beyond that. We're talking about a trillion here or a trillion there. Um, Those kind of numbers just don't make sense to the average person. And I'm not sure they really make sense to anybody. Um, It's just so massive. Uh, But this is a huge spending bill. It's a budget resolution uh, that Democrats are trying to push through Congress. And as you said, it includes a lot of material that uh, I think – Many certainly conservatives and many moderates and probably even some Democrats are going to object to um, things like universal pre-K for three and four year olds, tuition free community college for two years, uh, subsidies for green cars, green homes, expansions to Medicare. I mean, this is a, in some ways, I think it's kind of a progressive wish list uh, that kind of feels like almost a new deal. Part two. Uh, when we get right down to it. This is a huge measure.
0: Yeah. Um, And we're going to be talking more about it um, as we know more about it. If the Senate takes it up and moves fairly quickly on it, then I think by the time the House returns, the House will have what it wants, which is both measures.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, That's right. They could get both measures. Um, But as you said before, it gets complicated because this issue of the debt ceiling, and I don't know how much you want to get into it, but Congress would need to give basically the Department of Treasury permission to spend more money, um, and Congress has to raise the debt ce- ceiling to do that. This resolution does not take care of that, and the debt ceiling is a matter potentially the Senate could filibuster over. So we've got a long way to go before this happens, uh, but we could see another government shutdown and uh, more fun stuff like that like we've seen in the past.
0: All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith in just a moment. We are going to talk about an action that the president took, which many consider an abuse of the Constitution. But how is that different than every other president lately? That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, continuing my conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Um what is going on in terms of the president issuing you know executive uh, executive orders many of which are um strain um strain the imagination. But in this case, uh doing so really uh by authorizing the CDC to do something, and in this case, we're talking about extending the moratorium on eviction. So there's this specific case, but there's sort of this larger conversation about the president authorizing a portion of the executive branch to do something that, frankly, that particular part of the administration, the CDC, was never designed to do.
2: Yeah, like you said, we really have two issues there. Um, So we have this particular very narrow case, in a sense, where President Biden's telling the CDC to extend this moratorium on evictions uh, that's been going on for a bit of time now. And we can understand why there's a desire to do this, right? I mean, COVID's created a lot of economic problems for people. Certainly there are people who are in a really difficult position who maybe aren't able to pay their rent. And so you can understand the motivation behind it. Um, but the real question really is whether or not the president has the power to do this, and does the CDC have the power to do this? Um, typically, during times of emergency, the Supreme Court's a little bit more willing to give the federal government some power to do things. Um, and this particular case has already made its way to the Supreme Court once, uh, where the court very narrowly said, yeah, we're not real sure about this. We don't, aren't really thrilled about it but we're going to sort of look the other way for the moment. Um, But even in that case, Justice Kavanaugh wrote by himself and said, you know, this is fishy, Uh, and if this comes up to us again, then we really need to see Congress passing a law to do this, not an executive order. Well, here we are again. Uh, This is probably going to go to the Supreme Court again. Uh, But as you said, the bigger issue really is how much power do we want the president to have? Should the, power, the president have the ability to sort of, with a stroke of a pen, um, take away people's private property rights, take away economic freedom to some extent, uh, regardless of his motivations? Uh, that's a big issue. and It's one that, unfortunately, uh, we don't spend enough time reflecting on, I think, as citizens.
0: Executive power. Um, so we all learned in civics at some point along the way. That there's this separation of powers. Could you just remind yep. us what each branch is supposed to be doing and how they are supposed to relate to one another, at least if we took the Constitution um, at face value?
2: Sure. I mean, as you said, I mean the Constitution was designed uh, so that the branches of government have very different basic powers that they have. So the Congress or the legislature has the power to write the law. Uh, the president has the power to enforce or to execute the law. And then the judicial branch uh, has the power to interpret the law. And we, those are generally separated. Our system does allow for some overlap here and there. But these are generally separated powers. And we put those kind of expectations on our political leaders but through the Constitution itself. Um, but over time, the boundaries between the branches have, have really gotten blurred, especially between Congress and the legislature. Uh, the president has become way more powerful than I think our founding fathers ever would have predicted. And because of that, the president's kind of grown in stature. Uh, And for the most part, the Supreme Court, honestly, has kind of gone along with this uh, throughout the 20th and into the 21st century. Uh, So we still have these separated powers. Uh, We all know that we still have them. But we're not always willing to force our government to act within these boundaries
0: how do we you know as you know regular citizens out here how, how do we affect that like how, how do we get everybody to move in the direction that would allow for the genuine sort of restoration of the executive branch to sort of be confined to where it's supposed to function and congress to be doing what it's supposed to be doing in order that well, frankly, then the judiciary would not be in a position to be right. making laws because yeah. Congress would be doing it.
2: So, I, I think the most basic thing we need to think through as citizens is that the Constitution kind of sits above and beyond our political parties and whatever kind of policy we think we want the government to do. Uh, but instead, we tend to look—we tend to look at the Constitution and the President and Congress. We tend to look at them through the lens of partisanship. And so, we, if I'm a Republican, for example, um, I might be okay if Donald Trump makes an executive order that kind of pushes the boundaries of Article II powers, uh, like he did when he redirected funds to build the wall, for example, that were earmarked for military spending. Uh, or if I'm a progressive Democrat, I might be okay when Barack Obama uh, sort of decides unilaterally to prevent the government from enforcing the law against a certain class of uh, of immigrants in our country, um, and so instead of really forcing the president to abide by the law, we tend to cheer the president on when the president's doing what we like, and that's really the issue. You know, I think we have to have enough people in our country who're willing to say, you know what, even if I agree with this president, this is not good. This is not good for the Constitution. It's not good for the direction of our country. Uh, and that would mean to hold up a principle above and beyond our partisan loyalty, and in, th- in this environment right now, Carmen, you and I both know that's pretty rare uh, for people to make those kinds of arguments.
0: Right? Yeah. Like what's what's best for the whole body versus yeah. what's best for what I view to be my particular part of the body. You know, a body theology for uh, Christians could bring you know right. a biblical body theology to this conversation. Uh, and it would, it might really help improve um, the discourse, or the or the lack of it, the lack thereof. Um, I do think that there's a place for Christians in the conversations of the day, and I I just wish we were pressing ourselves forward in ways that were helpful and not just continuing to foment partisan division. I I just I know it's hard, but I think that's where we have to be in terms of our public witness.
2: Yeah, I I agree, and uh, I would say in addition a full understanding of the of the power of government to abuse that power and to do horrible things because of human depravity. Uh, you know, When you really wrestle with that, when you really believe that human beings are capable of great horrors, then typically you favor smaller, limited government because you want to keep that power out of the hands of government itself. Uh, but we don't tend to think that way. When the president, uh, you know, is part of our team, which I think is really unfortunate. So I agree with you. I think we need to be pushing in this area, uh, but you know, it, it's kind of a, there's a long road ahead of us if we're going to do that because right now I don't see a lot of appetite amongst Christians or really anyone else to talk about limiting the power of government.
0: So Scott uh, has texted in a couple of questions. He he asked a question earlier about the debt ceiling and you know the purpose of it, but I think um, I'd, I'd love to tee this question up for you. How can we get people to hold up a principle when we can't even agree on what the truth is?
2: It's a good question. And, you know, you could argue that maybe finding those common ground principles is impossible in some ways. Um, but, you know, I think even look at the Supreme Court itself. You know, Even though the court's often divided, we see these kind of five to four decisions and really key uh, cases and really hot button cases. Recently, the court has been pretty unified in a lot of areas. They're trying to search for principles, I think, that they can generally rally around. And those principles can be found in the Constitution itself. I mean, we might argue about the margins of what the Constitution means when it comes to a very specific kind of case, but we really shouldn't be arguing about whether or not the Constitution exists to limit our government. And I think on the whole, the Supreme Court tends to view it as a document that limits government and as a document that requires Uh, separated powers. And so I think even the court itself kind of points us toward the future. I think where people get kind of uh, lost, I think, is they just don't know that much about how the Constitution works, and they really don't know about how the court has handled it throughout our history. So to me, I mean, educating people about how the Constitution functions is a key part of this discussion.
0: Yeah. um, Listeners also uh, raising concern that there's no way that legislators can actually read uh, what they're voting on. These bills are so long and so complicated. Uh, and someone else is yep. saying, if they didn't have to spend so much time raising money um, for what is an ongoing campaign season, they would have more time to do what they're supposed to be doing. Yep, I, I think our people are. I mean, they people get it, right? Yep. There's yeah. the yeah. The work has become um, genuinely complicated and laborious, and they spend a disproportionate amount of time raising money because campaigning has become, has become the job. Staying in office has become the job as opposed to doing the job of the office. All right. Well, that gives us fodder for uh, prayer today, as well as engagement with uh, our members of Congress, all of whom are home during this summer break. And so just an opportunity for you guys to engage prayerfully and, um, you know, and in meaningful ways with your members of Congress, wherever you live. Mark Caleb Smith, thank you as always for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks,
2: Carmen. It. It's my pleasure. Yep. Take care.
0: All right, friends. Yeah, absolutely. We've got to take a break for Knowing God, and then we'll be right back. All right. Since Greg Laurie was talking dogs, we'll talk dogs for a minute. Today is, among other things, National Spoil Your Dog Day. When is it not exactly. National Spoil Your Dog Day? I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, pretty much isn't that the point of a pet? Exactly. I, mm-hmm, yeah, I have a spoiled dog and three not spoiled dogs, so I don't know. Maybe today's the day I will go spoil the three who are not ordinarily spoiled. There, there you go. go. Um, all right. Uh, w- next up, we are going to talk about. Well, you know, we always talk about life. Like, right? We this is if you've ever wondered, uh, is this a pro-life program? Um, yes, unashamedly, unabashedly pro-life. Uh, I talk about being pro-life from natural conception to natural death. Yes, I put those words on there to provoke you to think about what does that mean? And how would that work itself out in terms of a pro-life ethic every day? Focus on the Family is in the midst of their Sea Life 2021. So Sea Life uh, is uh, Focus on the Family's annual pro-life celebration. It's, it's impacting hundreds of thousands of people right now online. This year, the ministry has combined the best of in person and digital opportunities to reach more people. So you can check it all out at focusonthefamily.com backslash see life. If you just Google focus on the family, see life, and that's S E E, like see it, not like the ocean. So S E E, life, see life, take a look at life. Focus on the family's got a Really cool thing going on right now. We're going to have a conversation next with a woman who didn't just like have this moment where she was like, oh my goodness, there is this overwhelming need, this desperate need. My heart is broken. She didn't then despair. Instead, she did something about it. She did something tangible. It's making a real difference in people's lives. And so this is an inspiring personal uh, conversation with. Linda Natchko, we will talk with her next. The ministry is He Knows Your Name. We'll be right back.
2: I recently received a note from one frustrated mom who asked this, how do I deal with snarkiness in my teen? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Whether you call it snarkiness or rudeness or whatever, it's still Disrespect and it should be off limits in your home. If your teen is rolling his eyes when you talk or answering you in a demeaning and selfish way, you need to take action. Because when left alone, disrespect only gets worse. Take time to talk about respect with your children and lay down a few consequences and boundaries. Have a plan for curbing the snarkiness in your home. Disrespect should never be allowed. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at
1: ParentingToday'sTeens.org. Again, ParentingToday'sTeens.org.
2: Speak speak the Speak speak when the sun won't shine and you don't
0: know why. I'm going to start by saying Linda Zanachko is a regular person. She's also the founder of He Knows Your Name Ministries, seeking to honor every child with a name in life and dignity and honor in death. Um, Linda, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Thank you. It's great to be with you, Carmen. And you're right. I I, am just a regular person. (laughs) Like, I love that. I love
0: that, you know, you're a regular person. You live in Indianapolis, Indiana. You have a regular life, and you have uh, allowed God to not only break your heart— over something that breaks his heart, but then you didn't just stay there in brokenness. You moved forward. You've actually pressed your life into the problem. So tell people the story, um, you know, how is it that God opened your eyes and broke your heart to, to something that seemed like an overwhelming need? And then what did you do about it?
1: Well, I was uh, just sitting at my computer one day and uh, you're right, I was living an ordinary life. I mean, just really being a stay-at-home mom. Um, I had a lot of transition and with my children, with their lives at that point. Um, I had a son who was going off to college. My daughter had just gotten married and my two girls were still at home with me. And my mom had just died six months before. And I had just, with my dad and my siblings, given her the most beautiful funeral. And there I was sitting at the computer and a breaking news story hits. And it's super dramatic. You know, The caution tape is across the parking lot and everyone's arriving and sirens are everywhere. And I, of course, it captured my attention and I thought, what's going on here? And the breaking news story said, Baby Doe found in a dumpster wearing only a diaper. And my heart just started to race and I was filled with questions. And I thought, what happens to a baby that's been found deceased in a dumpster in our city? What does our state do about these things? And you know, as I sat there, captivated, just watching this unfold a live story. I just felt like I needed to do something. And, you know, really, I was just sitting there thinking, Lord, what do I do? And he said, make a phone call. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. You know, like, that's one thing. That's one little yes. And in making that phone call, I asked my questions and then the real injustice for me was exposed. And when I heard them say to me, well, if at the end of the criminal investigation, there is no one found, the baby will be put in a pauper's grave. And I just paused, you know, and thought, what, What? a pauper's grave? And they said, yeah, a mass grave. And I said, what do you mean? Like, not, yes, there's a mass grave. Like, we live in the 21st century in the most resourced country in the world. Why would we still have those? And why would this baby not be buried with dignity? This baby is a child of God, just like my mother was and deserves everything we gave my mother, a family to surround them in death, a name and a beautiful celebration of life. And that's what I wanna give this baby. So I asked them to put my name on the case and begged them to promise me that they would let me know what happens. And they, they said to me, Hey, look, you know, this is going to be a criminal investigation and it's going to go on for a while. So, you know, it may just be a couple of years. And I was like, well, you know, I've got time, so I'll just wait with you. And that's what I started to do was wait.
0: And at the end of um, that period of waiting, um, what happened? And then what is the ministry that grew out of this one experience?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I had no idea that the Lord was taking me into a ministry, that's for sure. Uh, That that criminal investigation ended up taking 13 months, and uh, they found that the funeral home director had illegally disposed of the body of the baby. Um, And so that Kind of as a whole other story and you can read about it in my book it's fascinating um, but what happened while i was waiting those 13 months is god started to show me that there was more injustice and more help that under-resourced people ha- needed that were losing loved ones either in tragedy or like in home accidental death. And so as I started to walk that journey out by calling the coroner every Friday, I started learning about a whole lot of other needs. And one of them was that there was another baby. And that baby was at the coroner's office. And when they said to me, you know, does your organization take care of other babies? And since you're waiting for this other one, would you just take care of this one? And I mm. I was like, I started crying, you know, and I'm sitting in my car, like, wait a minute there's no organization. This is just me. And actually, it makes perfect sense that if I'm waiting for one baby, I would take care of another one. And so that really birthed He Knows Your Name. And the more I talked and sought God's heart on it, the more I just saw how much this made sense. And God just said to me, this is He Knows Your Name. And, you know, like take my hand or taking a walk, let's go. And that really birthed the ministry. And that first year started to just show me what God was doing and laying a blueprint for the foundation of this ministry.
0: He knows, uh, he knows your name is mm-hmm. the website. He knows your name.org. It is also the title of the book. Linda. Zanachko. I want to get the pronunciation of your name, right? Linda Zanachko. Zanachko. Mm-hmm. Oh, like knock on the door. There yeah. Go. <laughs> I'm going I'm to change my little note here. Um, Linda Zanako is not only the author of the book, he knows your name, she is um the the founder of the ministry. And I just describe it this way: you allowed God in breaking your heart over something that breaks his heart mm-hmm. to not become paralyzed by what is a, a genuinely overwhelming need in our culture, but you brought the culture of life and and the truth of the gospel to bear on the culture of death. Like this Absolutely. is huge. This is a shining light in in real darkness in real time right now right. In, in, a, yeah. in a very tangible way. So we're going to talk, um, when we come back from a very brief break, we're going to talk about safe haven baby boxes because that's another outgrowth of this. And then we're also just going to speak um, directly to the heart concern of those right now Maybe your heart is breaking over something that breaks the heart of God, and you just need some encouragement to start pressing in the direction of positive change. We're going to ask Linda to help us do that together. We'll be right back. HeKnowsYourName.org is the website. That's also where you can find information about the book, He Knows Your Name. Uh, Linda, Linda Zanachko and I are talking about the first time she said yes and the places to which that led her, places she never imagined, a ministry that she could have never seen in her future. Linda, um, let's, uh, let's talk about one of the places where that led, which is Safe Haven Baby Boxes. What is that and how does that work?
1: Right, so the Safe Haven Baby Boxes were founded by Monica Kelsey. And she had gone to South Africa and seen the use of boxes or a drawer type of thing where women could safely surrender their babies that they chose to carry. And when she um, had, was witnessing this there, she was of course living out her own testimony, which um, she was an abandoned baby herself who then ended up being adopted. And she came back here and wanted to start this ministry here in the States. And the remarkable thing was at the time, this was December 28th, 2014 on the news, there was another abandoned baby found deceased here in Indiana. And that baby was wrapped in a blue sweatshirt and placenta, umbilical cord and all. And that sweatshirt said Vincennes University Aviation Department. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that on the news, I thought, Oh, I want to claim this baby and I want to name her Amelia. And when I looked up what Amelia meant, it means defender. And I asked the Lord, what will she defend? And he just pressed on my heart, the safe haven law. And it didn't really make sense to me because I thought we have that. Um, And what I've come to learn, of course, after that was that there was just no education or awareness around the law. And so babies are being abandoned. And Monica was kind of trying to be the solution to the problem I was working on. And so at that baby Amelia's funeral, we talked about this and she was getting ready to help be like press into the legislative part of her ministry with it and she asked me to come and give testimony before the senate about this new law and the law was going to enhance the safe haven law by offering this safe surrender anonymous option and we just really felt like the anonymous option portion of this new law was going to be a game changer for saving lives and it has been and This box is put in the wall of a fire station or a a hospital, and we've had 12 babies safely surrendered um, in the last four years or so. And every baby has received medical care in under three minutes and has been adopted in 30 days. And so this is working. And we have over 65 boxes now in the state of Indiana, and they're growing. There's five other states that have passed legislation, and it's up for consideration in many others. And so we feel like the movement of this and our collaborative effort to raise awareness to the law is going to help save lives.
0: I, I, this is one of those things where you guys have done the hard work (laughs) and in states that don't have this. I happen to live in a state that does not, does not have any safe haven baby boxes. I'm like, Okay, that it seems that this exists. This is possible. This is real. This is within reach. This could be happening. Those of us who are pro-life, you know, you know, let's let's be doing something positive, pressing ourselves in the direction of a positive change. And this is these are both examples. He knows your name as well as the safe haven baby boxes at shbb.org. I just want to lift up both of these. It's just really strong, vibrant positive examples of what people who are, are life people, Jesus people, God's people mm. are called to be doing today to press into the very difficult realities of under-resourced people in our, in our communities and across our country. So I want yeah. you to tell people, if you will, tell people about Abigail.
1: Oh, well, Abigail... Really was um, another beautiful situation that, you know, I thought was a he knows your name ministry situation where I was called by an um, a t- adoption attorney last year. And he said, you know, I'm trying to find an adoptive family for a baby that's critically ill um, at, at our children's hospital. And her mom signed adoption paperwork and left the hospital. Um, And the mother was um, homeless and um, was an abuser of drugs and confessed to using drugs during her pregnancy, which then showed itself when they did MRIs on this precious little baby and realized her brain was completely brain damaged. And he said, we can't find anyone to take care of her and she's not gonna live. And I said, oh, Steve, you know, I will absolutely take care of this baby after she passes. And he said, oh, no, Linda, I'm asking you to take care of her now. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, she needs a guardian in life. She needs a guardian to, you know, come to the hospital and work with her medical team and hear what they have to say about taking her off life support. And I was just reeling, you know, I thought this is like nothing I've ever been asked to do before. And that is kind of how my ministry goes. You know, it's like God just keeps bringing me people to collaborate with that together. You know, we bring our hearts together in the light and the love of the gospel of Jesus and we walk it out. And I walked into that hospital and heard the whole medical team give evidence about this baby's condition and, you know, I just felt heaven so close. And I thought, yes, I will do what you're asking me to do. And I will I will hold her and be with her. And so I went into her NICU room and, you know, held her and loved on her. And then I went home and made arrangements to be with her the whole next day. And when I was on my way home and I was sobbing in my car, um, my husband called and was like, hey, you know, what are we doing for dinner tonight? And we had company at our house, and all the stuff was going on in our lives. And I was like, we've got to cancel everything. I've got to come back here tomorrow and be with this baby. And he said, oh, my gosh, you know, you are not doing this alone. And those tender, sweet words from my husband um, just were the most perfect thing for me to hear. Because when we showed up the next day... Um, you know, to be with him and parentally love this little girl as she deserved. We named her Abigail, and it means a father's joy. Um, And we held her and baptized her, anointed her with oil. I dressed her in a beautiful white dress and put a pearl bracelet on her and treated her like our daughter. And we took her off life support and they said, she'll only live a few minutes. And she ended up living two hours with us unattached to all the equipment, you know, and we got to just love on her like our own. And that was just the most life-changing experience my husband and I really have ever had. And we have four other grown healthy children and adult children. And um, never did we think that in our year of turning 60, we would adopt a baby. Um, but, after she passed, and I officiated her funeral, um, this adoption attorney called me back and said, "You know, because you are guardian to her in life, you can adopt her in life, and she can have her birth and death certificate have your name on it and I just was overwhelmed with the beauty of that, and I thought that that is the gospel, you know, yes, I want to claim her in every way." And that's what we did. So three months after she died, we did a posthumous adoption for her. And my husband and I now say that we have five children. And it was just the most beautiful story of our lives to do together.
0: I am. You're my new hero. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) I mean, and and not well, I mean, not in a way that um, uh, that is inhuman, like right beyond being human. You are fully human, and you are um, demonstrating, living out, making substantial and visible the gospel I mean, yeah. that 's our responsibility in the world as Christians. make the gospel visible, substantial, and beautiful to other people I mean so that right. they can not see us but see God, and so thank you um, mm. I, I allowing ourselves to find our personal mission by allowing not only are hearts to be broken by that which breaks the heart of God, but then allowing God to pull us, press us, invite us, I mean, layer by layer by layer into ministry, which is precisely what you have done. Um, mm. This is this is what it looks like to
1: be the church in the world today. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, I, I think it's living out the supernatural, you know, and I think amen. that if we— Um, are really courageous enough to say, yeah, I really want to live walking by the Holy Spirit and filled with him and letting his word guide me. You know, I studied his word for 25 years and then He Knows Your Name ministry came along and it came alive off the page for me. You know, the book of Isaiah says, he called me from birth and made mention of my name and he then bestowed upon me the title of honor. I read those words and now I live them. And that has changed my life. And I do want to inspire people to find their yes to God. This was my yes, but everyone has an assignment. And just I just encourage your listeners to when, you, when I hang up, you know, that they would ask God, like, what has my name on it that's just for me to do for you that will change my world and then the world with the gospel of light? I mean, I look at Joseph of Arimathea who went to the elected official and asked for the body. And that's Mm -hmm. what I do. I go Mm -hmm. to the coroner who's an elected official and i ask for the bodies that they have that are unclaimed. And I say, give them to me. And I get to have funerals where I invite people to come hear the gospel at the grave. And the greatest miracle was performed at the grave. And so I expect God to show up and I expect him to meet people. And he does. And I will see it over and over again.
0: <clears throat> Amen. 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 All right. I know you guys want to find her and visit the website, He heknowsyourname.org. The book is by the same title. He Knows Your Name. Linda Zanoko. Zena- Zinoco. 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 Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Zinoco. I will get <laughs> yeah. it. It starts with a Z. It ends with an O. You are absolutely precious. Thank you so very much. And the name Linda means tender woman, oh. which you are totally living into. So thanks be to God for you. That uh, that takes us to the end of the hour. We'll see you right back here in a few minutes. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, this morning, uh, the song on my heart and in my prayers was this one from Jeremy Camp. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, when I rise give me Jesus you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. God has got the whole world in his hands today. God sees you. God knows right where you are. He knows what lies ahead in this day. He knows every challenge you're going to face. He knows every conversation uh, you're going to have. And he has you in the midst of it. You are his beloved child, redeemed in Christ, filled with and empowered by His Holy Spirit. And in that, you can walk into this day, expecting the unexpected, anticipating miracles, confident that because you are with God, God is with you always, even to the ends of the earth, even to the end of time, to hell and back if necessary. Um, God's got you. So give Him this day, give Him this day by asking him to give you Jesus in this day. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. When I'm alone, just give me Jesus. When I come to die, just give me Jesus. And yes, in the morning when I rise, just give me Jesus. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.